Hey, how you doing? Brian Kane with the Mental Performance Mastery Podcast here and super excited to bring on my friend, Tom Newman. He's my personal high performance director and sports science coordinator. And he's a guy who in 20 plus years of mental performance coaching, traveling all over the country to some of the top universities and top professional athletic programs. He's the guy that I look to and that I trust to handle all my strength and conditioning, my recovery, my nutrition, my blood work, my supplementation, my sports science, and really coordinate all that from an optimal performance standpoint. He's the guy that I recommend to the clients and entrust me with their mental performance. And I wanted to bring him to you here today with Mental Performance Mastery so you can learn a little bit more about what a personal high performance director does to make sure you're giving yourself the best chance for success. Hey, how you doing? Brian Kane, host of the Mental Performance Mastery podcast here and super excited to welcome my friend and a guy who I consider a mentor, a guy I consider the best in the world at what he does as a personal high performance director and coordinator of personal sports science, Tom Newman. Tom, thanks for joining us here on Mental Performance Mastery. Oh, Kaner, thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, man, I know I know you're super busy, so I appreciate you making the time. And, you know, where we first met was when in the Yale Athletic Department. I was there doing mental performance coaching in the department. You were there as the director of sports science and strength and conditioning. And we had worked closely together for years, mostly with the football and lacrosse programs. And Coach Andy Shea, you guys took that lacrosse program to win a national championship in 2018, finished second in the country in 2019. And Coach Tony Reno has taken that football program to be the most dominant program in the Ivy League. And I can't say how impressed I was with, you know, watching you blend the sports science, the strength and conditioning, the recovery work, and all things that athletes need to be optimal performers, and how you took it from guesswork in the clouds and really put it into the dirt with a scientific approach. And it's something that I wanted to bring to my mental performance mastery community and to the clients that I work with, and really for myself, as we all try to optimize our performance. So, you know, Newman, as somebody who is obsessed with sports science is how I would describe it. Obsessed with sports science and strength and conditioning and recovery and movement and nutrition and blood work and supplementation, how it all ties together for optimal performance. How did you get to this point in your career? What's kind of the quick background of your story? Yeah, I mean, so it, it's been a quite a crazy journey. I mean, from a personal standpoint, from the high school days of having a coach, arguably one of the best uh, coaches in Europe, you know, if basically, uh, you know, you had uh, Andy Reid come down to, you know, your high school and coach your football team. That's uh, what it was like to have our volleyball coach who had 20, 30 years in Europe um, teaching us about numbers and teaching about statistics. And I think that especially in athletics, that really impacted me because everything that we do um, can be measured in, in one form or another. And so throughout that time, um, I really became obsessed with kind of trying to optimize my game and my craft as an individual. Um, but along the way, you know, you stumble. I had stress fractures uh, in both legs my senior year. It was our big year. Team was really good, but then I had to learn about training. Well, what's training? Brian McDonough and Foxborough, still there today, one of the best strength coaches in the world, you know, wrote me my first plan and, and he wrote it for free. And so that really impacted me about giving it and paying it forward, not only to other coaches, but to other athletes that kind of need it. Because for me uh, and to many people still, this stuff is magic. What do you mean I can combine this? And I think that shock that, uh, wow, if I do this for six weeks, I have to trust in the process. And that's the word that you and I use all the time because it doesn't happen overnight. You know, strength and peak performance is reserved for the few. Otherwise, everyone would be elite, but they're not. And so I really got excited about learning about that stuff, went through my internships, went through all those different experiences, did both personal training, did division three, as you alluded to, you know, you and I connected at Yale uh, back in the day. And again, what were we trying to do? Trying to build a high performance community. Well, it starts with, you know, the mental game. So that way you can drive your habits and behaviors to do the physical things and then combine it together. But 
what I realized from there, and then as I went on to work at Hawken Dynamics and, and working with other institutions, is that things are kind of scattered. Um, when we look at, you know, kind of what what needs to be done on a day-to-day -day basis, it can be pretty cumbersome. And so what I've, you know, done now and, and kind of with clients that we've worked with is really try to streamline that because that's what makes me excited because there is for sure um, a way to do things better when you're streamlined. Um, but right now, especially in athletics, everything's analytics, analytics, but it doesn't help you when the nutrition analytics doesn't talk to the strength person. And then there's the strength analytics and then there's this expert. And so you get this siloed effect, but at the end of the day, sports is a relationship business. You know, even at the highest level of say an individual sport, like a sprint, there's usually a team that has to support them, but there has to be a level of competency. We talk about the three C's um, when we talk about coaching and that's the, you have to have the credentials. So you have to know the science, the books, the theories, but you also have to have competence and then you also have to be committed. And what I've found and why you and I have, you know, connected here is there's a lot of guys that are saying, well, either A, I don't have this resource or B, I don't think that they're talking to each other. They're maybe they're not committed. And so it was trying to provide a solution where guys could come and, you know, say, hey, take this over so I don't have to worry about it. And that's where this high performance model kind of came to work with people for some of these tough cases, whether they're coming back from injury, whether they're trying to get into uh, one of their contract years. It's really being able to kind of leverage those resources and experiences that I've had to pay it forward to help them out. Because again, especially in professional athletics, it's a small window of time to make a lifetime worth of, you know, of money. And so how can we stretch that out and how can we optimize that? So that's kind of my long-winded answer, how we got to this place. And, and, you know, as we continue to push forward, really kind of, um, you know, rewrite history for some, but then also forge forward with some new innovations. Yeah. And as we're recording this on a Wednesday, you know, we have the, uh, the yard crew who's here at the cane house now outside of the studio leaf blowing, which they don't normally come until Friday. It being a holiday week, they decided to come on Wednesday unbeknownst to me. So that's why I record podcasts on Wednesdays and Wednesdays and not Friday. So I apologize for everybody having the leaf blowing in the background, but you know what? One word. Good. We're going to proceed Good. on anyway. So Newman, you know, one of the, one of the things that, that you uh, recommend athletes do, and it's one of the things I've done is a DEXA scan. And I had my first DEXA scan done back in here. If we look in, in January of 2017, and then I had another one done in April of 2017. And then most recently here, as we kind of reconnected and started to take this to another level, I had one done in November of 2023. And if just so personal, as you read these for us, these are some, one of the things we're going to want to have you know, athletes do. And it's one of the tools that you use as a personal high performance director. And just so people know, before you kind of read this and dive into it is in November of 2016 is when I did my first full distance Ironman triathlon. My second full distance Ironman triathlon was in April of 2017. So this is without question, the best shape of my life that I was in. It's interesting to see where I was starting from. And then here we are, you know, six years later doing another, De another DEXA scan. And I'll have you kind of read through the results on this, because this is one of the first things that we're going to do, you know, with clients as a personal high performance director. Yeah. So, and again, for everyone, just to understand why do we care? So when we think of body comp, a lot of people talk about body fat. <clears throat> and personally for me, if you're training and you're doing all the right things, <clears throat> I'm less concerned about body fat. I'm more concerned about muscle because muscle is the, the motor, if you will, of the body. And the thing about muscle is that it regenerates pretty quickly. You know, your legs get sore. Well, within a day or two, they get better. Uh, ligaments and bone, they're on a little bit of a longer timeline. And so one of the things that early on in my career was pressed upon is, you know, you are kind of a culmination of what you eat and what you train. And so when we go in here and look within every sport, there are bands and ranges of acceptable lean tissue. So if, I, if you can just take the mouse and scroll over there and you look at your lean tissue, 
And so that's anything uh, not fat. Um, we're able to go in and look and say, okay, over a six year period of time, we have a you know 45 year old male. So from 39 to 45, there was barely any change when we started talking about that lean tissue. I mean, this, this is within the range of error. So every test has a, a percent range of um, difference. Uh, DEXA is the gold standard. Um, so, but again, you need to make sure if you did it in the morning, you're always doing it in the morning, make sure your hydration is on point. But what I'm getting at here, Kainer, is that, you know, you and I've talked to people where they might, you know, this is, this is nothing. We have people that within two or three months, this number could change five to 10% of their entire mass. So I think this is really kind of a credit to your process. You work really hard at this. Yes, you were training as a triathlete, but also you were able to blend both what you wanted to do for fun. So again, I'm sure you've had, you know, desserts. I'm sure you've had sweets, but you've done it in a way in which it didn't compromise your muscle tissue. Now, when you're 18 to 21, you know, one of our big goals at Yale was to put on as much muscle as we could for your class. And when I say that, I don't need a baseball player putting on weight, like say an offensive lineman, but if you're at 155 pounds, a mesomorphic 5'10", so you look like a triangle, mesomorphic, um, 5'10", 5'11", baseball player, and you're at 145 or 150, that's an opportunity to be able to gain five or 10 pounds makes a huge difference in your velocity. And when I think of baseball, it's two things, it's power and speed, but then also your resiliency to trauma. And what we know is that if you are under muscled or you are doing it, um, you know, again, with, with less tissue, your resiliency kind of has an issue. Um, Cause again, it's just, it has to absorb every swing, every pitch, every, everything. And then the other thing is if your diet's not right, again, muscle needs calories. It needs to be fueled. You have to earn it and you also have to earn to keep it fat. Um, we would just start to see that that, that doesn't need any, you know, that that'll just continue to hold on to you. You didn't really have a huge change. You know, when you think about throughout the course of the years, you barely moved. I mean, within a pound or two pounds within a year, that's nothing. But yet we'll have guys that'll gain seven, eight, nine, 10 pounds in a season. So the reason why I like this, these are kind of good check-ins of, okay, you say you're doing your diet. You say you're doing your training. If you're an older, if you're an older athlete, say north of 25, 26, what are we doing to maintain? If we're a younger athlete, if we're a bubble player, is there an opportunity? If I'm at 20% body fat with 150 pounds of muscle, just simply doing a recomp. So keeping my weight the same, but just making what I've made of a little bit better, you will gain speed. And when we use force plates or other technologies, those are proxies for this, just to make sure that the muscle that we have is actually doing what it's supposed to. Because yeah. again, muscle will perform the way that you train. So if you need to be a slow power lifter, um, we can do slow, powerful things. But if you're an explosive guy, we can go and say, okay, well, what's speed versus agility? If I play shortstop versus outfield, there's different velocities. But again, the only thing that makes motion in the body is the muscle. And then the tendons and ligaments and the nervous system work in, in kind of concert to optimize that. But I was really impressed with your muscle. I know one of the things that you've talked about now is we actually want to, even at your age, we won't want to try to encourage as much muscle growth as we can. And so knowing this, we now have a target. We now have a goal. And I know you also did the 3D body scan, which is great because, you know, obviously we've done this. People say, well, why don't you do it every, every month or whatever? In general, you're looking at this from a three to four times a year type thing. But the nice thing about the, the scan is without having to go physically take measurements with a measuring tape, we're able to go and look and see, okay, if Kaner's going and doing this and we start to see his waist go down and we start to see his shoulders get wider and we start to see that his legs are getting thicker, then we know that we're gaining muscle and our recomp is going the right way. So it's really great that we're able to do this kind of stuff and not only see what muscle you're gaining, but where we're putting it. So think of it as clay. 
in your situation with your back, we're not going to go in and do deadlifts and, and big back squats. We're going to have to take a much more targeted approach. And the great thing about the DEXA is we're able to zoom in down to the limb. So again, mm -hmm. if you're, say you're coming off an ACL and you go and you look at left leg, right leg discrepancies, just in muscle mass, this can be hugely informative. And, and Dr. Bell up at the University of Wisconsin did a whole study just looking at cross-sectional area of people coming off injury. So say you have a foot, say you have a knee. Well, it's good to know because if this is out of whack before we even start, we're putting ourselves behind the eight ball before we even get out on the field. Does that make sense? And, and I think yeah. too about fat, fat in general gets a bad rap. You need fat. Fat is good. But if you're in a situation where you need velocity, um, fat is drag. It's a fuel source, but it comes at a cost. And so again, finding that right balance. And I'm not saying everybody needs to be single digit body fat, but what we don't want to do is start a season at 10% and then we finish the season at 20. We don't want to see someone go in at 180 pounds. And then by the end of the season, they're 160. So when we talk about this, this is our kind of efficacy test three times a year to really look in the mirror and say, is my program working? And mm -hmm. if it's not, let's get on it. And if it is, let's write down so that way we can continue to improve our process and refine our process to maintain it. So again, I commend you kind of on your work that you worked hard on of staying active, staying busy. And, and again, it's not like, you know, your life, you know, nothing's been going on. You know, you've had a family, you've done all these different things, all of these excuses that could have compiled for you to, you know, see this number swing up into the high thirties. And I think it's uh, on one of these reports, they talk about the average, you know, body fat for a male your age, um, you, you are in kind of that elite percentage, but again, what your standard is, is going to be internally divided, uh, decided by you. And, yeah. and I think that again, when we talk about the professional athlete, this is an easy test. And, and again, whether you do it once, whether you do it twice, I've just been shocked at the number of guys that haven't done this at all. I mean, we work with some individuals or some clubs do this. Um, but I think this is just part of your annual physical at a minimum. To make yeah, sure I, I think it's four times. I think it's four times a year, right? And I think if you're talking about a baseball player, it's like, okay, I do one at the end of the season. Let's call it October first or whenever I finish the playoffs. I do one right before spring training. I do one at the All Star break. I do one at the end of the season. That's only three, right? So like, if you took the year and just chopped it up and said, okay, every ninety days or whatever the rhythm in, of the baseball player is, let's say end of October, maybe get one January first to make sure that my training program I've just done for October, November, and December is working. And then I got January and February, and then I got spring training, all-star break. So it's almost like you're looking at end of the season, maybe right around Christmas, and then start a spring training, all-star break. Those are your four times to get it to make sure that your body fat, your comp is consistent with where you want it to be, but also that your training program is actually working. Because if I looked at it and said, you know, hey, my, my body weight is going down. If I use just body weight as a measurement, that's a problem because my body fat goes down, my muscle mass goes down. I'm actually becoming probably more susceptible to injury, but also decreased performance because of power and velocity. Yeah, you're just, and, and again, injury is a part of the game, but what we can say for sure is if you're going catabolic, that process globally is less beneficial to someone who's more resilient. And, and to your point, I've seen cases where individuals, oh, I lost 10 pounds. Well, but if six or seven pounds of its muscle, you actually got smaller and fatter yeah, yeah. and and that is good. And, and so what we want to do, and, and you alluded to the point of, you know, whether it's three times or four times a year, for sure there's three, but say that I'm a guy that loses weight in season. Maybe you do yours in May and August. Maybe yeah. you, you split that up into a double or you say, hey, like you said, uh, I'm going to do an October and then I'm going to do a December, whatever it is. But the point of what we're trying to hammer home to listeners is that you better be accountable for your training and your nutrition. And the great thing about this 
is that it doesn't lie. I mean, this is the gold standard. And so whatever you did, whoever you worked with, they should be held accountable to, hey, I was on a muscle building plan. We should see it. And is it one pound? Is it two pounds? Is it three pounds? And then what was your maintenance, especially in the sport of say baseball? That's a long season. That's a lot of time for the things to start to slide. And so what we want to do is catch something when it's a check engine light and not when it's blinking red. And now we've had changes in movement patterns that now, like you said, make us more susceptible to things we otherwise wouldn't have been. Well, and it takes literally 20 minutes to go into DexaFit, schedule an appointment, get on the, get on the, what was, you know, like a, like a x-ray machine. They take the scan of your body, you get your report. It takes 20 minutes and they're all over the country. So for a lot of our players that are going to be living in Arizona and the, let's say they live in Florida in the off season, they come to Arizona for spring training. They're playing somewhere in Ohio during the year. They're going to have DexaFits near them everywhere they are so that they can go and get this test done. And for somebody who's really into it, you know, they could do it six to 12 times a year. They could do it monthly if they wanted to, to see where they're at. Right. I mean, it's not, these are the type of guys that we have that are obsessed with performance because their body is literally their meal ticket. So, you know, for people that are listening to this podcast on um, wherever you listen to podcast, Apple, Spotify, if you got a chance to see the video, you would see the data that we have pulled up here. Right. And from 2017, January, I was 190 pounds in April, I was 184. If you go to, you know, lean mass, I, I dropped two pounds body fat wise. I dropped, um, if we go back into the top, I dropped a percentage and a half, right? But here we are now seven years later. So 2017, six years later, 2017 and 2013, my body fat went from 18 to 18.4. My lean tissue went from 148 to 145. So we want to get better with that but visceral fat has even gone down from 0.86 to 0.45. So, you know, it's, it's pretty cool to see that with not doing Ironman training, but just everyday sort of life training, I have stayed relatively the same. I think now Newman, the goal becomes what's a realistic fitness goal for me. You think in the next six months, I'm 45. Uh, I got two kids. I'm running a very successful, but time consuming business, which I love. I love fitness and working out. Is it realistically for me to say, hey, I'm going to get body fat to 16% and I'm going to get lean tissue to 150? Is that realistic? Well, again, we'll, we'll see as we get into it. But what I think, you know, people need, listeners need to understand is that I would challenge you to go find someone who's 45 years old, that their body fat has stayed within the margin of error of the machine. If this machine, say, has a margin of error of 1%, 1.5%, 2%, Kaner, you've done an incredible job. This is wild. And I just, again, it's nice to see that your efforts, you know, have, have proven, um, you know, that, that they've been working, but, you know, for you, whether we go 145, it's try to bring that up to as high as possible, but without limitations to the back. And so I don't really try to jump into, um, you know, getting fixed in on a number. It's a general guidance. Is that lean mass going up? And by the lean mass going up, your percent body fat will go down. And if we lose fat, that's fine, but you don't have much to work with. So again, we'll kind of get that, um, we'll deal with it as we, we get through it. But in six to eight weeks, my hope for that number is to be as close to 150 as possible. Again, a five pound swing, a six pound swing for someone your age would be phenomenal, but it gives us a very clear roadmap of what we want to try to do. Yeah. And it's, uh, it, was, it was pretty cool that when you, when you get the DexaFit app, right, one of the things that they do is they give you a biological age. Um, and the biological age for me was 35 when I was, when I took the test at 45. So obviously that's a comparison against, you know, other people, my age bracket, which I'm not going to do. I'm comparing myself to myself, but, uh, that was pretty good. Cause I got to keep up with my wife. Who's, you know, 
lot a lot younger than I am. So I got to make sure I'm staying up with the uh, with the fitness piece. If we can, let's transition here from DexaFit into another thing you had me do, which is a Gatorade sweat test. And again, if you're watching the video on this, you can see I, I'd never even heard of a sweat test before until you mentioned it, but I put this patch on my forearm and then I go out for a run. And that day when I ran, it was 83 degrees. I ran a three mile run and you get all this data, right? When you scan the patch and my sweat rate was 45 to 49 ounces an hour. It was a, a sodium concentrate of 21 to 35 milligrams an ounce. And when I sent this to you, you said my recommended uh, fluid intake was about um, eight ounces every eight minutes or 15, 16 ounces every 15 minutes, about 60 ounces an hour, which uh, as you sent that to me, I said, good God, that's way more than I ever drink when I run. But talk to us about the sweat tests, Newman, and what the benefit of doing these is. Yeah. And and so uh, I'll a little backstory on this. So again, without having access, being able to go to say, uh, you know, the Gatorade Institute or on a, a formal sweat, what we want to do, and we know, especially for you, you live in a warm climate. Can we get a sense? And again, when we talk about testing, I want everyone to understand we have tests that range from validated, so validated by science. Um, and then we have things that aren't validated, but you know, you can't ignore there's something to it. And and maybe in 10 years science will um, you know, figure out why. This this product here, um, I was first introduced by John Jost, who works over at the Gatorade Institute, and he had mentioned that they were coming out with these patches and they'd gone through some testing and then making it commercially available. And so is this as good as a, you know, in the lab test? No, but what I like about it is that if you pull back to that, that screen, do you notice how it gives you kind of a range? So when it gives you that kind of, okay, how many ounces per hour, it lets us know, because again, are you an indoor climate? You, I think you took this when you went outdoors. Outdoors, um, yeah. So now we know in your environment, and again, you're in a warmer environment, of course, you're going to sweat more, but it helps us get some sort of ballpark to then start. So again, we're not going to plant our flag and say that you have to stay at exactly this many ounces um, or else. But like you said, it was much higher than what you've been doing. Well, now we're going to let performance dictate kind of what our hydration is. So you're going to now implement that plan. You're going to go out and repeat the same hike you did. And you're going to give us feedback. <clears throat> so I wasn't lightheaded. And when I finished it, I felt better because that it's two part. It's, Hey, I hiked it faster or I hiked it the same. And it was much easier. And especially for some of our guys that if they're changing time zones and climates, if your strategy for playing in Miami is the same as playing, say in an indoor facility, say up in Toronto, you're missing an opportunity. Mm -hmm. So when I to guys i want to know what is your on the road strategy and then are you a super heavy sweater are you a moderate sweater but it's a lot of sodium so products that i've really enjoyed and again i don't get any money from these guys but looking at right stuff if you're super salty i think that's what i sent you yeah. um catalyte like thorn say nothing comes back you know you, you didn't go one way or another catalyte from thorn momentous also makes some great products but what i want guys to understand is that this is our cooling system so think about hardware software and plumbing we know we are made of water, but everybody uses it differently depending on their task, depending on their, you know, kind of role on the team. You have to have a game plan for it. And, and Kenner, it's been shocking to me to find out that when I ask guys, what's your process for, you know, days above 90 degrees, it doesn't sound much different than the 70 degree days. Or what do we do when it's 40 degrees out and you're not even thinking about hydration because you're not thirsty. Again, by the time you're thirsty, it's too late. So this is one of the things that I like using just to bring kind of awareness to the, you need to have a strategy, um, behavioral type thing. And then we, we keep an eye on it, but we use this kind of as our compass um, to start with hydration. Yeah. And the thing that's great about it, right, is it's literally a patch that you put on your forearm, you go and exercise for a certain amount of time. And when you're done, boom, you scan it and it gives you that data. I send you that data and you go, here's our, our protocol. 
So as my personal high performance director, if I'm a baseball player and I'm training in Miami this time of year, I'm going to do it as I go do a workout, send it to you, find out what I need there. I come to Arizona, way different, not, not as humid. Now I'm out here for spring training. I'm going to put the patch on, scan it, send it to you. It's a day game. It's a night game. I mean, the patches, I can just have a stack in my locker and do them, send the, the results to you afterwards. And you go, okay, this is the environment we're in. We put together an Excel sheet and we know here's what we got to do. Cause you're right. If I'm playing in Texas in August, it's a lot different than if I'm playing in Boston in April, I've got to hydrate differently based off what's happening. And it's so easy. Now I remove the guesswork by put the patch on, do my activity, scan it, send it to you, let you tell me what to do. And we move forward really easy. Yeah. Yeah, and I know people go back and forth on what technologies they like and this and that. But what I would say is we try to leave no stone, you know, uncovered. So we go and take a look at it. But I can tell you for sure, every athlete has an optimal hydration strategy. But when I ask guys and they don't even have a clue where to start, I really like this because it's an it's an it's an easy way. Like you said, it yep. takes no time at all. But then guys are saying, oh, yeah, you know, I know that in the cold weather, I got to do this. Or you know what? I can't drink that much because I'm going to pee like crazy during the, during the game. You know, we don't know how long a game's going to be. So how are you going to handle that? And I think that first and foremost, if you don't have a plan of attack or a strategy in any aspect of your performance game, you're missing out. And I've never met anybody who goes, man, hydration is not that important. It's no big deal. Every single person has a optimal strategy and plan for their environment. But if you don't even have a, um, plan of attack for that i just think you're missing out so that's why i like those patches because it brings awareness to the behavioral changes that need to happen if you're trying to be elite at what you do it's the same thing with the mental game right it's why i've i would say that in my 20 years of mental performance coaching one of the best strategies to use is a success checklist because it allows us to bring some data to the behaviors that are required around the mental game and if i'm asking an athlete to do mental imagery to watch a mind movie to do a meditation to hit concentration grids to practice their routines to journal on a consistent basis to do certain readings whether it's the abc's the pitching the daily stoic by ryan holiday whatever there's a whole list of things that we could have guys do if they can put them on their phone and they can track them on a daily basis, well, now as, as a mental performance coach, that's no different than a strength coach tracking weights. That's no different than a, than a nutrition coach being able to take blood and having a guy keep a food log. Like I can go back and look at a, a client like Corbin Burns, pitcher of the Milwaukee Brewers who won a Cy Young in 2021. And I can go back over the last four years and go, here's how many times he did mental imagery. Here's how many times he was watching a mind movie. Here's how many times he was doing a shadow bullpen, practicing his routine with no ball. And we can see, is there a correlation between when he went fall off on some of that work, which everyone does because we're human, we get busy and things happen. Is there a drop off in the, the training as, and does the performance follow? Right. Or as at, do, do we need to modify some of the training as life happens and children are born and things like that to be able to maybe do less, but still be in the same uh, confident state that comes from preparation? Because, look, as an athlete, confidence comes from preparation. And if you don't have a personal high performance director, if you're not doing a DEXA, if you're not doing the sweat test, if you don't have a recovery roadmap in certain protocols, you're guessing. If you don't work with a mental performance coach, you're guessing. If you don't have a hitting coach, guess what? At some point, it's going to get hard. And when it does, you're going to go guessing on what to do to turn it around instead of, no, I'm going to go to the guy who knows me best, who can help me stay on the path. Because as the athlete, you don't have to do this stuff yourself. Stop trying to do it yourself. Surround yourself with a team of experts that have your best interest in mind so you can go do what you do best, which is just compete. 100%, 100%. Newman. And I think when the guys, when the guys, you know, they don't change their own oil. 
They don't yeah. do their own tax. You have experts come in to help you because again, you and I can't go out there and play you know, 162 games, but what we can do is own the mental side and then the process. And I think, you know, as I'm, you know, meeting with guys and talking with them, get the simple basic stuff like your hydration, your nutrition, your sleep. What is your training? Can you show me six months of your training logs? And if you're one time with an organization and then you're doing with a private, okay, is that streamlined? And is the efficacy the same across the board? Because at the end of the day, if you're not performing, because this is a results-based business, you're out of a job. So I don't know how you can sit there and say, yeah, like, oh, you know, I'm really dialed in. I'm as good as I can be. Well, are you as good as you think that you could be or actually yeah. compared to the yeah. standard of the stuff that we're mentioning? Yeah. Here's, here's, here's this thing. Here's the thing. I've never met an athlete ever, ever in my life that didn't think they were dialed in. They all think they're dialed in. I've never met an athlete who's like, yeah, man, I, I, I do the mental game. And it happens every time they come over here to the house and they do the mental game. Okay. Well, show me what you're doing. And they talk, well, you know, I kind of do imagery. How often, how long, when are you doing it in your routine? Is it guided by somebody else with an audio? Is it self-directed? Are you doing it before or after you watch a mind movie? Are you doing it sitting down or up active going through your motion to add in routine work? And they come in, they're like, oh, I'm not doing any of that. I'm just closing my eyes and, and seeing myself hit home runs, right? And it's like, they think they're doing it until they actually get with somebody who can show them, no, this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like to be elite because people don't know what they don't know. They don't know what right. they don't know. So we can't hold them to a fault, but I'm not going to sit here as an entrusted mental performance coach to some of the top athletes in the world and go, well, I'm going to let them have to figure that out on their own. No chance. I'm bringing in a team of people, whether it's financial advisor, whether it's movement specialist, whether it's nutrition, whether it's a chef in a certain part of the area. And I'm putting a team together so that I can truly be the mental performance coach and an architect to help these guys surround themselves with the right team to invest into themselves and maximize their potential. And part of that, Newman, is having a recovery roadmap. Talk about the recovery roadmap and kind of that spectrum of recovery, because I know that's something that you do a ton of sports science and research on currently. Yeah. So when people think about recovery, if we went back 10, 20 years ago, it was take a day off. And then, you know, probably about, you know, maybe uh, let's go, I'll, I'll say maybe 10 years, it became, you should definitely have a post-workout something. So like a protein shake. And that was that, but where we're headed now, and again, as you alluded to, um, you know, some of the research that's out there, um, you know, what are you doing with cryo? So cryo stimulation, what are you doing with float therapy? What are you doing with your say massage, soft tissue? What are you doing with near infrared? What are you doing with, um, you know, just your sleep game? Well, I get eight hours. Well, we know that, that that's, that's nothing. And again, you start seeing all these holes and, and thinking about recovery from passive of, hey, uh, I'm sleeping, right? You're not doing much, you're, you're, you're out, um, to I'm sitting down and being mindful and everywhere in between. Yeah, no, I need to get in my crowd therapy. I need to get in my massage. I need to do this. But then how do you stack it? And so on a double header day, when you're on the road and you haven't been home for seven days, what is your game plan? Because you have a very small window, you have a few at bats, you have a few, you know, swings um, to be able to, to make a living. Well, the compound effect, that's one of the books that you had everybody read, it starts to add up. Um, and I think that when we take recovery, uh, that approach, yep, there you go. Uh, it, it's the things that you're doing in January and February that are going to impact you come May and June. But a lot of guys don't even know how to look at it. They think, oh, well, cold plunge. Like again, with a lot of the social media stuff, everyone's into cold plunge. Okay, cool. What about contrast? And, and what I think is people understand is that it is going to be unique to you, unique to the tasks that you do. And then also as you get older, and so you go from being on a minor league team to a major league team, there's different demands. There's different time zones. There's different resources. What temperature is your hotel room? 
Do you travel with your own mattress topper? Do you not? Can you even get that? Like all of these things need to be checked off to go, yep, I have optimized this situation as best I can. And, and you've talked about this a ton about staying in process. Process is I need to do my field tasks. I need to at bat do the following tasks of hit the ball. The more things we can eliminate from the mind, from that cognitive load, the better we can perform and have confidence each and every day. And just being confident in your process, I do think has an impact in the performance, whether you want to call it placebo or not. Just I've seen it. I've seen it too many times across too many different athletes that just, okay, I've done the best I can. Now I'm going to you know, enjoy the game that I love. That's what I hope that everybody that we work with gets to, to be able to figure out that they know that they've you know, exhausted every opportunity to get their body and mind in the best shape possible. Yeah. You know, it's funny you mentioned cold tanks. I know, I know, you know, cold tanks are very trendy right now, um, you know, with social media and Wim Hof and the breathing technique and getting in the cold ice and everyone's doing it. What do you recommend Newman, if you could just a cold tank protocol, you know, is it personally, the thing that I do is I, I go 10 seconds under two minutes in neck deep, 10 seconds under and I'm out. And I feel like personally that wakes me up gets me going for the day. And I almost don't even have to take caffeine because I feel like that just brings me back into a state of alive and being ready to go. I do it at 39 degrees, but I don't have any necessarily uh, sports science driven research to say that's the right protocol. So what do you recommend for guys who are hitting cold tanks? Yeah. So, I mean, again, let's take what you just said and unpack it. You, you did the cold tank, whatever your protocol is, but you started noticing that you don't need caffeine for you. That's a great thing. Yeah. If your body feels good, that's awesome. And so when I sit there and if you like 30 seconds in, and again, the temperatures, again, you think of most of the cold tubs, you should be usually they're you know, somewhere in the fifties and then it became now it's in the forties. And so in the last 10 years, I think it's gotten almost 15, 20 degrees colder. What I don't want to see is that you go in and sit in there for 15 minutes. Now you, you've got yourself sick or you've gotten you know, hypothermia because you have it outdoors and you're trying to be tough. And I think that's where cold, starting with, again, if it's three minutes, you build it up to six minutes. Is it that you do the kind of, as you mentioned, some guys like to do contrast baths. So a lot of the athletic training rooms, you have a warm tub and a cold tub. What I would say is, what are we trying to do? So if you told me right now, you want to design a, a plunge that you know lets you not have caffeine, we're going to experiment it. And the one that sounds like that you're doing now works. Now, there's no interference to our workouts. You've been crushing workouts. So that's good. So what I would say is for you, we would stick with that. But I basically would break it up into either a short period of time. So getting in and getting out, or we would just do three. And I think, you know, again, you have to look at the, the literature, but that three to six minute um, kind of range and, and temperature, depending well, should have an impact. So for you, I think that works. Um, a guy that goes in and says that they just don't like it, it gets them, fro they're freezing all day long, or it's just mentally, it doesn't help them. I think that's the guidance. And that's a good example of, I don't care what the science says, if it doesn't feel good, or it's not moving the thing that we're trying to do in the right direction, I'm not going to force somebody, oh, you have to do it this way, because that's what you know, this white paper said uh, that you had to do. I mean, it's so individualized. What we know for inflammation, for what it does to the brain, there are some positive benefits. But for you, the goal for us is to try to not use caffeine and have a great start to your day. And if it ain't broke, don't fix it. That's kind of my motto as well. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. You know, it's funny. You do mention how the, the, temperature of the cold tank, how it has dropped, right? Like I, if I go to the University of Oregon and I'm jumping in a cold tank there with those guys and their unbelievable, you know, fitness training room complex that they have, it's 52 degrees. And I come back home and it's 39. Right. And it's like, you get into 52 and it's cold for 10 seconds. You get into 37 and it's cold for as long as you're in there, you know? 
Um, and you just wonder like, and then, and then I have one of my UFC fighters, she lives in Colorado and she goes into this, into this river. That's like, I think it's like 22 degrees or something and it's flowing water. I go, how is that thing not iced over? But she goes in there and sits in there for minutes, you know? So it's like, how do you, how do you determine a starting point for somebody? Yeah. I start with the task. So what are we trying to do? Are you just doing it? Cause you saw it on social media. Is there a problem? Cause remember how many hours are there in a week? Yeah. 168. And when we go through, if you're going to spend the five minutes, 10 minutes to do that, is it really worth it? And yeah. again, if you go into cold water, that that's cool. And again, the body's an amazing ad adaptation machine, but if you go in and you give yourself frostbite or you go in and, and, I, and I think to like cryo is negative 220, negative 230, but it's only three minutes. I would throw that into the spectrum of cold. What are we trying to do? And again, is it that you really enjoy it mentally? Are you getting a physical response? Cause I can tell you there were guys in the college days that if they did not cold tub, they would just break down by the middle of the week, even mm -hmm. though they didn't really like it when we did soreness and we did some of the other force plate testing that there was definitely a need to go in. And, and like you mentioned, I remember days with athletic trainers, if you went in, you know, above kind of like, if you sunk into your neck, they'd kick you out of the training room. Cause again, from a liability standpoint, everybody responds to this stuff differently. But I start back with the question of what are we trying to do? And what's the minimum amount that we need to do to get an effective dose response. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of my, you know, what do you have access to? If you live in Arizona, you can't do the river thing like the lady does. Yeah. Okay. Well, what about a tub? Well, I can't do a tub, but I can do a cryo. Okay, cool. But is it a is it a soreness? Is it mental? Is it body fat? Like we know there's been tons of study looking at cryo, looking at changing body composition. Like that's actually a whole like hospital medical thing is that you can use that in conjunction with training to reduce, you know, your BMI. Um, when you look at those studies, but, but again, if we're just doing it because everyone else is doing it, I think that that's, that's where it becomes a problem. So I always start with what is my problem? And then what is this intervention going to try to do? And how do we mitigate uh, against the negative effects? Yeah. Yeah. And I think for me, the purpose for me for cold tank is trying to get myself awake and active without having to take caffeine in the morning or delay my caffeine intake so that hopefully I can burn off some of that adenosine that builds up while you're sleeping. And then midday, take one as a, as a, as a, as a spike in energy without having to have more caffeine. And then also some of the thermogenic fat loss that comes with it. And then frankly, I just feel like less inflamed and I feel better getting out of the cold tank than I do if I don't do it. Uh, I also like the mental benefit of getting in there and it sucks. It's cold. I don't like it, but I get in there and I focus on my breath and it's like almost a two minute I call it the two minute round with Mike Tyson where I'm getting in there and I'm like, I don't want to be in here. This sucks. I want to get out of here, but I just breathe and I stay through it and I survive. And then I get out and I go on my way. Uh, so that's, that's kind of why I do it. I like, I like those benefits of it. Um, and I know everyone has their own reasoning for it. Yeah. And I think that when, if we took that away from you, we would see a negative impact on your performance. You, you would have more caffeine. You wouldn't feel as mentally clear. So for when we talk about performance, it's so unique to the individual that we have to let the performance kind of dictate, you know, what it is. We take it away and we start to see changes. Okay. We need to add it back. Now I'll flip it to you. I hate the cold. Like if you, if you told me to go sit in a cold tub, that is my least favorite thing. Now on the other side, I love sauna, put yeah, me in yeah. a 203, you know, old fashioned sauna. I, I'll sit there four or five times a week and the mental clarity that I get all day long from sauna, from blood pressure, from just how my joints feel. It, it's humble. It's like taking a whole bunch of ibuprofen and Tylenol without like the negative effects. So for mm. me, sauna is a huge part of the ritual. And for me to be able to sit in for 20 minutes, um, A, I like it. B, I can show you in my lift numbers. Uh, it's there. So that's where an example of you and I might be trying to do, say, say we're going to lift or have the same workout how we approach that may be different, but we're using both subjective and objective data 
to tune it up. And again, if I had to, my life depended on it, I'm going to jump in a sauna, I'm going to get myself ready. And then within an hour, um, I'm going to get after it in the gym. I know that that'll be a much better workout than if I don't. It's awesome. Newman, I got three more questions for you. I want to talk about the difference between red light and near infrared sauna. Since you brought it up, I want to talk about float and sensory deprivation and then how people can get a hold of you. So talk to us about the difference between red light and near infrared sauna. Yeah. So again, this is a lot that we see. Um, and again, I've had to do my own personal education on this and looking into it. So there's a lot of red light. Um, and so you see a lot kind of in the aesthetic shops. Um, there's like devices you can bring at home. Um, if you go back and look at the history of kind of low level laser therapy, low light laser therapy, um, there's been positive benefits. So the company that used to use make cold lasers for treatment, we know that if you put a laser on a joint for rehab, athletic trainers and physical therapists have used this for years. Well, now that's expanded to these kind of panel displays to your face. Um, the ones that we recommend um, is the, the Novathor bed and then the ARC LED bed. Those are completely different. And when we talk about what are we trying to accomplish? What is the science behind it? I think guys have to be really careful because from at least from my perspective, the sauna that I mentioned to you is the old fashioned Swedish heat stone, 200 degrees go. The the infrared and near infrared, you know, really makes it... Um, a specific distinction between the wavelengths and what it does. And I would caution people, oh, why would I go here when I can get this for free? Make sure that you understand which bed you're in. Again, near infrared, you can't see. The only reason why it's red is so that you know that it's on. You know, at my full-time job, we have one. People come in, they use it. Um, they're able to feel better. And again, that has been a validated uh, measure that we're continuing to do research in, but also can be part of your daily practice. Now, that being said, that is different than sauna. And so when people interchange, oh, I went into a sauna, my first question is, well, what kind of sauna? And then what's the expectation? Because what I would expect from getting yourself acclimated to, you know, 20 minutes in a 200 degree sauna and what it does for growth hormone and heat shock protein is going to be different than, Hey, I'm going to go sit in the PBM machine for 20 minutes. So I think people really need to make sure that they do the research, both those companies, you can go to their website, look at the different locations that they have throughout the country uh, and make sure that that's part of your practice. If what you're trying to do is PBM specifically as it relates to how the mitochondria um, helps repair the tissues. So I just think that that's my biggest cautionary tale because some of the people that I've spoken to aren't really sure. Um, but that's the great thing about, you know, what we do is I can run that down. And again, if you tell me that you like your little portable, you know, uh, red sauna, red light sauna that you're going to put in your room and, you know, you're, you're, you're doing great on the field, then we're going to roll with it and we'll figure out in the off season why, but do not go in and do that thinking that it's just the same because it's not. And I think it's a really slippery slope. We see this with supplements as well, ranging from stuff that's made at home or in factories overseas to someone like Thorne, um, where, you know, they're made in a plant that is, you know, basically pharmaceutical grade um, products from raw source all the way to um, production. You really have to be careful. And I think I just would hate to see guys waste time doing stuff that they thought, oh, well, this is just as good. No, it's not. Make sure you understand, especially in any of the kind of PBM technologies that you know what you're getting into, or at least have a game plan of what your expectation is. Hmm. Last thing here, Newman, talk about the, the benefits of, of, of float tank and sensory deprivation, something I had done years ago, got away from it, you know, and then uh, as my back went out and I reached back out to you, you know, within the last month or so and said, Hey man, I I'm struggling. I need some help. You're my guy. You know, what, what do you got for me? What would you recommend? And the first thing you said is go float three times a week. And I went six times a week and for two weeks now I feel back to hundred percent. Um, you know, and it's been not just the physical benefit, but I think the cognitive benefit has been almost more impressive to me than the physical benefit. So talk about the float tank sensory deprivation that you recommend for recovery. 
Yeah. So, and again, backstory on this modality, um, out of Ohio State, Lydia Caldwell did a ton of research. It was her PhD focus, really looking at with athletes, what's going on in the float. Float's been around forever. And it's kind of been one of those fringe uh, therapeutics where we go in and you lay in a, you know, 94 degree water with, you know, a thousand pounds of salt. So you're weightless. Um, you're, you're, you start to dissociate from where your skin and, and, and your brain knows where the body starts and stops. And there's a kind of this cognitive reset. Um, and so what she found in her research is pretty powerful. And, and I share with guys, you know, some of her studies, I mean, we're talking about massive drops in cortisol, massive changes in what's going on with the brain. We still don't really know the full benefits of, other than the fact that when we put people in multiple times a week, there's a pretty dramatic, both cognitive and physical response. And, and people go, well, I could never do it. I won't want to be left alone with my thoughts. Well, then you need to address your mental game. Because if you can't shut it down, so if you think about fight or flight, parasympathetic, sympathetic system, most top performers can hit the gas pedal harder than anybody else. Most top performers struggle to take the foot off the gas pedal. So they go to drugs, they go to gambling, they go to other behaviors to try to slow down. And, and, and that's just not good. It's not good for longevity and it's not good for peak performance. And then in my current role, working with Mark Stevenson, um, so he's the director of the Center for Sports Performance and Research, he's really pioneered a lot of the stuff as it relates to the practical everyday application. And so at you know our facility, we do have some incredible tools, one of them being the float that you know we say, give it three or four times. And, and, and as you mentioned, you did a couple of times, the results are undeniable. If I hooked up some cognitive um, instruments, if I hooked up uh, force plates to you, if I had you do some feedback surveys on your soreness, there's no doubt in my mind, you would see a, a massive change. Now, what do we do with it? So now you feel good. What was the first thing I said to you? I said, take a nice, you know, low impact cardio and tell me what you did. You went and ripped out a 40 minute hike up a hill with a pack. So I do say that if you're getting your recovery game right, you need to have a coach to check you because again, you don't know, you haven't felt this good in so long, you want to grip it and rip it. And so we always want to have that modulation and talk about stacking days. So we stack days in the mental game, we stack days in the physical game. But what happens, Kaner, is that guys get six months in and when they'll say, you know, I do a shake at this time, I get in the float here, I float after games, I float before, blah, 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 blah. It doesn't look any different than like a play sheet in football of like on first and 10, here's a situational awareness. That's really what the high performance game should look like. After a game, I lift. I can tell you I had baseball players that had to lift every day, but no more than 15 to 20 minutes because it was too much. And then other guys are like, I don't have the time. I want to do two big workouts. Well, again, what position do you play? Are you a catcher? Or are you an outfielder? Are you playing at shortstop? And then also, what did you do during those times? And when you can't give answers to that, again, all it is is you're leaving an opportunity to make more money. You're mm -hmm. leaving an opportunity for someone else to take your money. And so mm -hmm. my hope is we go forward both on the recovery side, then also on the training side is we can position people to be the best version of them and realize it's going to evolve. As your training density gets better, you're more resilient. As your mental game, think about people when you work with them day one versus six months later, they're a completely different person, but they can't even articulate to people how bad it was. They, they can't even see it because a lot of people, when they start their journey, it's kind of like the FedEx truck. Once you know that there's an arrow in that logo, you can't not see it. Well, once you know a good mental game, you're like, oh, you don't do mindfulness? Yeah. You don't have a one down at the end of the night. You don't, oh. You don't have so a 168. You don't have a success checklist. You're not doing visualization. You don't have a mind movie. You don't have a pre-pitch routine or a release you get into. You don't even know what red and yellow lights are. And that's where guys come to me. Right. And it's just funny though, because then they become the best advocates because so many people, unfortunately, get to a situation where they're in a bad spot. Something's yeah. failed, they're underperforming. And so if you're listening to this, 
you know, give it a shot. I mean, again, we, we talk about give us two, three months. You yeah. tell me if you don't notice a difference. And again, whether it's sleep, whether it's training, whether it's just organizing your life. I mean, stuff is, is strewn all over the place between private and clubs and what I was doing. And, and nobody can give me a straight answer. And so I hope that people can understand that at least what we're trying to do here is get you as organized as you can, build your roadmap for you and only you to get the best version of yourself going. And that's what's exciting too, because you and I both know nobody ever gets in the mental game and goes, that was a waste of time. Correct. Nobody ever gets in the recovery game and go, that's a waste of time. Getting organized was a waste of time because again, the time is either spent or invested in that future. And so we try to at least eliminate any of those question marks that may be. And then the results speak for themselves. They've built a building that you and I, for all the work that we did, um, will live forever in New Haven. You know, as you mentioned, it's the most dominant era of football ever in 150 years, pro probably just by luck, right? And then all the other people you've worked with, probably just by luck. But there's a constant theme here of being squared away and then having a resource that guys can trust. And you and I have worked with enough people where I don't care whether you're a multimillionaire, you're brand new starting out, you're a college kid, treat everybody the same. And then, you know, the results will speak for yourself and then just pay it forward because you put good energy out there. Um, it comes around. It comes, back. it comes back for sure. You know, and I mean, we didn't even talk about sleep science. We didn't talk about catapult and being able to, if, if I'm an independent athlete, I'm going to wear a catapult. That data goes to Tom Newman. He's then able to give me feedback based off of how much I actually moved that day. I mean, there's so much that goes into it. We're not even scratching the surface here, but Newman, for people, the next step, I think if you're an athlete, listen to this, you're a CEO, listen to this, and you just want to optimize your performance and you're looking for a personal high performance director, obviously they can contact me uh, through Instagram at Brian Kane Peak. They can get me by, by going to my website and filling out a contact form, Instagram, or is there a place that people can contact you if they had questions or they wanted to do a deeper dive into anything? Yeah, I think the best thing is just shoot me an email. Um, and again, too, um, for me, you know, this is again, it's this is not meant to be uh, something where I'm going to be working with hundreds and hundreds of people. I really want to work with a core group of individuals that really want to get after it. Um, and so there's that kind of high level one on one touch. The best thing is just the email. So the email is sandbata at gmail.com. So that would be sandbata, S A N D B A T A at gmail.com. And then you know, as we go forward here, I'm excited to launch a new website that people can then use a contact form. Um, but if you're, you know, one of the people that are progressive and you're listening to this ahead of time, you can jump on it, um, get in the queue. And again, whether you go through Kane or through myself, um, yep. really looking forward to reach out. And, and if it's a good fit, let's do something about it. And if uh, not, you know, both of us can point you in a direction um, to really kind of get you to be the best version of you can be in whatever form that is. Awesome. Tom Newman, man, I know you're super busy holiday season and I appreciate you making time to uh, join us here on the Mental Performance Mastery podcast and looking forward to, uh, you know, continuing to partner with you to best serve our clients to help them maximize the best investment they can make, which is into themselves. Tom Newman, thanks for being here, brother. I hope you enjoyed the opportunity to get to meet Tom Newman, somebody that I highly, highly recommend to the athletes that invest with me to maximize their mental performance. If you're looking to have your own personal high performance director, either as an athlete or as a CEO, or looking for someone to consult with your top college athletic program to maximize performance, I can't highly endorse or highly recommend anyone more than Tom Newman. If I can be of any service, please let me know. Hit me up through Instagram at Brian Kane Peak or head right over to briankane.com. Just fill out a contact form and we'll get right back to you just as soon as possible. Thanks for being here. Dominate the day.